Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wilson, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwilson.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. Thank you, Greg, for leading us and those who serve with you. Thank you for leading us in worship. It's good to see each and every one of you here this morning. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to ask you to open it up to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and when you come in, if you get one of these bulletins, there's always bulletins on the back at either entrance, and there's always going to be notes, or there has been notes on the back of that that help guide our time through the Word this morning. So Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to um, pick up in our study through the Gospel of Mark. Those notes will be on the behind, um, on the bulletin if you would like to, and they may be behind me up on the screen um, if the technology is working as we desire. But Mark chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 40 through verse 45 this morning. That would be the last verses of chapter 1. So if you'll read along in your copy of God's Word as I read aloud, out of mind. I want to put before our hearing how Mark continues to describe the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 40, he says, And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out. And he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. This is just one more Sunday out of a series of lessons that we have been looking at through the Gospel of Mark, where Mark is, and I have mentioned this before, he's primarily, the audience he has in mind is primarily the Romans, and he's primarily writing to them to tell them about who this Jesus is. And as we have seen in the preceding verses of Mark chapter 1, he's coming and he's giving different views on how people see Jesus, And so he started in Mark chapter 1 talking about how John the Baptist viewed Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. And then he talked about the baptism. Now the Holy Spirit then attested to and testified to the work 
of Jesus. And then as he gets into the synagogue, if you remember the story, as Jesus gets into the synagogue, there is Satan and the demon oppressed man and how they view Jesus. And then Jesus got into Simon Peter's house and the mother-in-law laid there sick. And you see how the sick viewed Jesus. And then as the word spread out from what he had done in the synagogue, it tells us in the last part of uh, uh, chapter 1 and uh, verse 32, it says that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. So we've seen multiple different pictures that Mark is giving us of how people saw Jesus. But this morning, as he turns the lens, if you will, and as Mark is turning the lens, he puts into focus and he puts into view a leper. And for the first time, for me in the gospel, I see a character so far that I can relate to. And as Mark is writing this, he's writing this to a people that no doubt knew about leprosy. They knew what was going on. And so as Mark is showing Jesus from these different angles, he now comes to a leper and he says, I want to show you how a leper sees Jesus. And this morning, I want you to see with me as we go to the text together, four different postures is how I put it in your notes. Four different attitudes. Four different ways this leper goes to Jesus. And for me, these are marks of, marks or standards for me in my life if these are true about me. So as we come to the text, Mark is going to, the camera is on Jesus, the camera is also on the leper, but he zooms in on leper, and we see how the leper then comes to Jesus. In verse 40, as we go back to the text, it says, and a leper. Now, he doesn't try to pin it on a day. If you look back up there in verse 39, he was going throughout all Galilee. So we really don't have a timeline on whether this was the next day or the next month or six months later. We just know that Jesus has been preaching in Galilee and a leper. Now, that is a significant word in that setting. Today, we call leprosy Hansen's disease. The problem is, is they're not the same thing. Today, Hansen's disease is still something that is recognized globally, but is something that is largely curable through antibiotics. The majority of the cases that you see with Hansen's disease today is because you have undeveloped countries that aren't practicing the hygiene necessary to keep the leprosy at bay. But in the biblical times, leprosy was a whole different condition. In that time, it was, a, it, it, was, it was described in Leviticus 13 and Leviticus 14 as being an infection. It was something that would get on your body. It was something that would get into your house. Some commentators talk about it as being a mold, a black mold, a blue mold, a green mold, a purple mold. They have all the different colors of mold now these days, but it was something that would infect your clothing. It was something that would infect your flooring. It would infect your, it would infect your sheetrock. It would infect you. And in that time, the leprosy would start to be an infection on the skin that would damage the nerves on the skin and so you would be harmed and you wouldn't realize you were harmed infection would set in and then your body would just start to rot away because of the lack of feeling and the lack of health and how the infection would just come upon a person if you go back to Leviticus 13 there's a whole chapter devoted to how the person that is afflicted with leprosy is to Behave. And in Leviticus 13, 
There is never a condition or an opportunity given for that leprous person to come to the clean people. In fact, it says in Leviticus 13 that if you are, you are afflicted with the problem, the condition of leprosy, you are to stay at least 50 paces away from everyone else. And then you are to wear clothing that is to be rattled and tattered and to look in shambles. And then if someone was to come up, so if I'm sitting there and I'm minding my own business and here comes Pastor Van and he's walking up to me and he gets within that 50 paces, I'm supposed to yell out, unclean, unclean, to let him know, do not come closer. So as you get here, as you get here in verse 40, do not run past this idea when Mark says a leper came to him. The first posture that we see out of this leper that I want you to see with me this morning is that he got low or he gets low. He comes to him. The leper came to him, imploring him, exhorting him, begging him. He came, imploring him, and then my text says, and kneeling. The leper came to Jesus, but he didn't just come up and say, hey, I know you. You owe me. He didn't come to him and say, hey, I've got a problem. You need to fix me. He came, and he came low. He came in a, in, in a state where he kneeled before Jesus, and he says, please help me. And you see some words there in verse 40 that I've just wrestled with over and over these last several days. It says the leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling to him, and he said this phrase, If you will, you can make me clean. I want you to notice in that statement, in that phrase, I want you to notice the wording. The leper says, If you will, you can. I want you to see with me this morning that when he came, he came low. But not only did he came low, did he come low, but he came humbly. When he comes to Jesus and he kneels in front of Jesus, he looks at Jesus and he says, If you will, you can. There was a desperation. There was a recognition that he had nothing to offer. There was an understanding that he could not do it himself. There was a certain amount of temperament saying, I need some healing. He comes with a state of humility. I was reminded yesterday how often I fall short in this category. Got a child, more than one, but I got one particular one. It's throwing a fit. Well, one of the many tools of discipline we have at my house is child labor. So, one of the things that we do is uh, when you're deciding to throw a fit, I give you a bucket. And I give you a little hand shovel, and you go outside, and you get to pick stickers. Not only does that give you an opportunity to exercise some of your bad attitude, but it also helps the entire family because you don't have to worry about going out and collecting the sandbirds in the bottom of your bare foot. So it's, it's a win-win for everybody, right? Tracking with me? Some of you just need to have sandbirds in your yard. You'll understand why this is, a really cool, this is a really useful thing. So this child goes outside, throwing a fit. Go outside and start collecting sandbirds. This child goes outside. He's outside for a period of time, 15, 20 minutes, and he comes back to the door. <clears throat> and this is what he says. He comes back to the door and he says, Daddy, I'm done throwing a fit. So he's coming, presenting himself as a humble child, saying, Please, Father. No more of the stickers, Father. 
And I looked at him and I said, are you done throwing a fit? He said, yes, sir, I'm done throwing a fit. And I said, well, I don't think you pick stinkers long enough. Go back and keep picking stickers. Now, now, this is what the child does. The child goes back to throwing a fit and goes outside and picks the stickers. And as his father, I think to myself, he really needs a better dad that would teach him how not to throw a fit. And about that time, the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart and says, how many times do you do that with God? You go to God and you say, God, I shouldn't be, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm I'm changed. God, I'm fixed. God, I'm not going to do this anymore. And God's like, really? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then all of a sudden, you don't get what you want, and you go right back to what you were doing. See, here in the text, whenever I read this, and I hear this leper say, if you will, you can. You know what I do not hear in that phrase? I do not hear me or I. See, sometimes in our Western thinking, and sometimes even in my thinking and maybe in yours, the phrase goes, like this if he won't then I will or if he won't or then he can't or if he then I so many times we look at our circumstances around us and we look at our world around us and we start to have the idea well that if God won't do something then I'm going to do something and when the slipper comes to Jesus he just simply comes and says if you will you And there's humility that should be baked into every single one of our attitudes when it comes to Jesus. Every single one of us come to Jesus not because there's some merit or some worth in us. Every single one of us come to Jesus not because he owes us something or because we're entitled to something. Every single one of us comes to Jesus because we do not have the ability to help and heal ourselves. We come to Jesus because we have tried the world's measures. We have tried society's ideas. We've tried the opinions of man. We have tried all of the ten steps to having a better, more fulfilled life. And we come to the point that we realize that we need a Savior. And there's a difference when you come to Jesus in an arrogant heart versus a humble heart. And the leper comes here in the text and he comes and he gets low. He gets on his knees physically and he humbles himself spiritually. And it comes to Jesus. But that's not where it ends. Look at verse 41. Listen to what happens. He comes to Jesus, he kneels to him, he says, if you will make me clean. And then what does it say in verse 41? It said, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. The second posture I want you to see this morning is not only does a leper come and he gets low, but when the leper comes, he listens up. He listens up. When he comes and he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, please help me. Does he just turn around and start playing on his phone? Does he turn around and start talking to somebody else? No, he sits there and he listens to what God is going to say. So he comes and Jesus says, moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said to him, I will be clean. I want you to notice with me, when the leper comes to Jesus, he comes to Jesus and he kneels in front of Jesus and he says, if you will, you can. But then that final moment, that final separation, that final divide, whenever man came to God, God then came to man. What does it say? It says Jesus had pity on him and he reached out and he touched him. Now if you go to the Center of Disease Control website, And you look up the idea of Hansen disease, they make it very clear that it is very, 
very improbable, very highly unlikely that Hansen's disease today, disease today can be spread through physical touch. They say that it is just very unlikely that it could be contagious like that. But in a biblical time, not only was it bad enough if you were within 50 paces of someone that was unclean, but then if there was a physical contact, that was almost the sure mark of you're now going to contract leprosy. That's why they would take them and they would put them in colonies and they would isolate them off where lepers were with lepers. And that's why it was such a big deal that they would stay together because they didn't want the contact. And so here in the story, as Mark is telling us and showing us this, and if you're a Roman living in the first century, you're going to read this and you're going to go, what? Jesus came and touched an unclean, an unworthy, an outcast. He came and touched him? Yes. Why? Because Jesus had compassion on him. Jesus had compassion on him despite his condition. And, and we need to understand, we're not that big of a deal. We're not that special. You may, you, you may be the smartest person in the room, and you're still not that smart. You may be the best looking person in the room and you're still not that good looking. You see, there's nothing of ourselves that merits the favor, the grace, the love of God in sending his son to us. There is nothing of us that is worthy. And yet God sees us in our unclean, outcast, helpless condition and he sends his son because of his compassion for us. But what does Jesus do? It says Jesus had pity on him. He stretched out his hand and then what did he say? He said, I will be clean. As he's listening, as he, I'm not, no, he's not listening. As he's talking to the leper, the leper is listening to what God has to say. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, reaches out, touches him, and says, I will be clean. Can you just imagine, can you just picture with me the hope that is there in his word? The leper obviously knows who Jesus is. Obviously, his faith is in the proper place. His hope is in the proper place. And when he cries out to Jesus, Jesus says, I will be clean. And he touched him. Now this is where we get hung up so many times in our Christian life. Because we come to God. And we say, God, heal me. Fix me. Get me out of this situation. And he doesn't. And then we find ourselves questioning the goodness of God. And we question the ability of God. And we go back to verse 40 and we start having the attitude, if he won't, then he can't. Or if he won't, then I will. And we get then out of whack because we come to God expecting God to do something about our situation. Or we come and we say, you know what, it worked out for the leper, good for the leper, well, what about me? And we forget of the truthfulness and the hope that we see elsewhere in the word of God. Let me give you a couple examples. You might write these down in your notes or you can turn there if you'd like to. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is writing and he says, 
To keep me from becoming conceited, this is verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should lead me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What is Paul saying there? Paul is saying that even though that he was afflicted in the flesh, God's word was still enough for him. Give me another place. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. He's in jail and he's in prison. He's been mistreated. He's being abused. He's being forgotten about. He's being abandoned by people that called him the brother, that they were, that called themselves brothers and sisters in Christ. People are deserting him left and right. And he says this in chapter 4 and verse 19. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. One last place. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What am I trying to say? What I'm trying to say is when the leper looks at Jesus and he says, if you will, you can. And Jesus looks at him and says, I will be clean. There is hope in the words of Jesus. And please do not let your hope be dependent upon your physical situation. Please know that when Jesus is speaking, he is talking more than just physical. He is talking about the spiritual. And so if your situation is this morning that you're hurting, that you're sick, that you're afflicted, that you're down, it's not a matter that he can't. It's not a matter that he won't. It may be just a matter that he hasn't or he is doing something else in you for his glory and for your good. But the, the leper, he comes to Jesus and he gets low and he listens up. But then in verse 42, there's another thing. I put this in your notes. Get low, listen up, and be ready. So what does he do? He comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you will, you can. And what does it say in verse 41? Jesus says, I will be clean. And then what happens in verse 42? One of the favorite words that Mark uses over and over and over again. It says, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. It was, a, it was a moment. There was a moment when he went from being, the leper went from being helpless to being hopeful. He went from hopeless to help, hopeful in just a flash of a moment. <clears throat> he asked for healing. He received healing. Was he ready for the transformation? You see, sometimes I go to God and I say, God, please, 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 God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. And yet I'm not ready for if God does what I want him to do. And we do that as a church. We'll come together as a church and we'll say, oh, God, can we just reach this wealth in the community? Oh, God, would you, just, would you just impact people? Could we see another great awakening in Wellston? But are we ready if God sends them? They see there's so many ways that we will want to come to God, but are we ready for him to act? The leper is sitting there and he looks at Jesus and he says, please help me. And Jesus says, I will. But notice what else. The leper was ready. The leper was ready for God to move. And there's two things there in that verse there in verse 42 that I don't want you to miss. There's a past tense and a present tense. 
In verse, 40, verse 42, he says, and immediately, that's a present tense idea, immediately the leprosy left him, and then past tense, he was made clean. There was an idea that the healing happened even before he realized the healing happened. There was a past versus a present reality. And here, and I hope, and I, hope I don't lose you on this, but I want you to think about this with me. The condition preceded the consciousness. I'm going somewhere. He asked to be healed, and God healed him. What came first? The knowledge that he was healed or the fact that he was healed? Why does it matter, Spence? Why, why is this such a big deal? Because so many times through Scripture, we see where the spiritual is dictating the physical. And in our day, in 2023, our physical is now dictating our spiritual. Let me try this another way. So many times we let our emotions dictate our faith in God. Instead of our faith in God dictating our emotions. We let how we feel determine how we worship. Instead of our worship determining how we feel. So, so here in the text, there's an order, and I think the order is massively important because here in the text, the order is God healed him, and then he realized he was clean. It was a momentary thing. The physical may take time, but the spiritual is instantaneous. It's the same idea when you think about it in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. It's the idea that it is momentary. You're body may not have caught up with your mind, but when you get saved and when God changes your heart, it's momentary. The sanctification may be a progress. The sanctification may take time, but the spiritual is immediate. And you think, well, Spence, why does that matter? Because we're living in this day and time that our emotions and our feelings and our minds are driving our spirits. And that is completely opposite of what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. Remember that text? He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How, Paul? By the renewal of your mind. See, what Paul is reminding us and what Paul is showing us is that so many times our, our physical dictates our spiritual. When the reality is, is kingdom-minded speaking, our spiritual should dictate our physical. So here in the text in Mark chapter 1, this leper, he got clean. Then he realized he was clean. Some of us this morning need to remember and we need to recognize that we're not the person we were before Jesus saved us. Oh, I realize that some of your habits may still be there and some of your behaviors may still be there and you might still be the knucklehead in the flesh after you got saved that you were before you got saved. And I'm not saying that after you get saved, you turn into the perfect person or the wonderful spouse or the best parent. No, that is still a process. But what doesn't take time is you going from death to life, from hell to heaven, from lost to saved. Those are immediate. And if you are here this morning and you know that you've been saved, then it is high time that your spiritual starts dictating your physical. 
And there's too many Christians today that walk around and saying, well, I'll get in church when I get my life cleaned up. You've got that backwards. You don't get in church to clean your life up. Your life gets cleaned up when you get in church. And it's not a matter of being in church. It's a matter of submitting yourself to the obedience and putting yourself under the word of God. What makes a difference in a person's life is not their attendance in a chair. What makes a difference in a person's life is hearing the word of God, responding to the word of God, obeying the word of God, and applying the word of God. It's a whole lot easier to get those when you're amongst God's people and the fellowship of the family. And that's why it matters. Because we need, we must, we should, we shall be ready. The leper comes. He gets low. He listens up. And he's ready for God to move. So then what happens? This is where it gets confusing to some people. Because what happens? Verse 43. And Jesus sternly, sternly, charged him. It wasn't a flippant suggestion. It wasn't an idea. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now I want to stop right there because the cleansing was already done. It already says up in verse 42 that he was clean. But if you go back to your Old Testament and you see Leviticus 13, there was a process of how you were supposed to act, how you were supposed to conduct yourself if you were had the, the affliction of leprosy. And then Leviticus 14 tells you that if you are cleansed or if the leprosy subsides and your house is restored, how do you then restore yourself back to the fellowship of the people? Because in that time and day, a Jew, you're part of your spiritual worship and part of your spiritual identity was in the fellowship with other people. So when you get leprosy, you are outcast, you are put away, you are put out of that fellowship, and it's almost like you're blackballed, ostracized, blacklisted, whatever you want to call it. You're put in timeout. And then all of a sudden, things get better in your life, and you have to go to the priest, and you got to say, see, my clothes are clean. See, my skin is clean. See, my house is clean. See, all of this stuff, there was a process. <clears throat> So Jesus is, Jesus is telling him, you need to submit to the process. Even though that won't change your condition, you need to submit to the process. But here is where the rub comes because we will look at this text and we'll go, now why did Jesus tell him not to tell anybody? One of the biblical writers said it was kind of funny. Jesus said him not to tell them not to do anything, not to say anything, and he told everybody. Jesus tells the church today to tell everybody and we keep silent. We don't tell anybody. He thought it was kind of ironic. Now, why does he do that? Well, he does that. If you look back up there in verse 39, it says, And he went through all Galilee preaching in their synagogue. What was the goal? What was the purpose? What was the thing that Jesus was trying to drive to? Well, it tells us there in verse 38. He says, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. When Jesus came, what was Jesus trying to do? Jesus was trying to teach them about the coming of the kingdom of God. It was a spiritual event. But as he was coming, there were people that were being brought to him, that were sick, that were disabled, that were afflicted, and he was healing them. And that was great, and that was good, but Jesus didn't want the physical to overshadow the spiritual. Makes sense? You see the same thing in John. You see... The feeding of the 5,000. He gets in the boat. He goes to the other side of the sea. People follow him. This is John chapter 6. They follow him. And when they get there, Jesus is like, why are you searching for me? Are you searching for me because you're physically hungry? Or are you searching me for because you're spiritually hungry? 
And so what was going on here is Jesus said, hey, you're physically well, but I want to continue to preach the gospel. I want to continue to tell people about what God is doing. And if the news gets out and then all of a sudden they flood me with people needing physical healing, I, it, it, will, it will distract, it will confuse, it will, it will crowd out the spiritual. In fact, it says that in verse 45. And to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer open, openly enter a town. It's the idea that people were coming to him. People were flocking to him. So why did Jesus say to be quiet? It wasn't because it was a secret. It wasn't because, oh, the, the, nobody can find out about this. It was because the mission was to tell people about what God was doing. The focus was the spiritual, not the physical. But what did the leper do? It says the leper, verse 45 he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. I want you to see the example that we have from the leper. Not only does he get low when he comes to Jesus, he listens up when he comes to Jesus. He's ready for when Jesus is going to act. But then the last one that I want you to see with me this morning is that he gives credit. He gives credit. Now there is disagreement. Was the leper being obedient? Was he being disobedient? Was he being unfaithful? Jesus said, don't tell anybody. Was he being faithful by then telling somebody? You can go home and you can have Sunday lunch and you can wrestle with that and you can come up with your own decisions. What I'm going to tell you this morning is, is that when this leper got clean or when this leper got healed and when this leper was changed, he looked different, he acted different, he talked different, and the difference was visible. Why does that matter, Spence? The difference was visible because the people started to go, what is going on with you? What happened to you? What changed about you? And he began to talk freely. I was unclean. I was an outcast. I was helpless. I was hopeless. I was dirty. I was afflicted. I was plagued. I was every adjective you could enter. But then Jesus came to me. And we sometimes forget the simple principle that changed people tell people. That changed people tell people. What did he do? He began to go out, he began to talk freely, and he spread the news. And it wasn't that he just put a post on social media and said, boom. It wasn't that he just whispered it to a friend in a hallway. He began to talk so freely about it that it says in verse 45, Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in the desolate places because there were so many people that were hearing about Jesus. Oh, Spence, I'm so excited about what God has done in my life. I'm so excited I just can't come up with a word to tell anybody or say to anybody. Wow, your new shoes. Oh, my new shoes are great. I love my new shoes. I like the color. I got them from here. They were on sale. This is the manufacturer. This is how you can get a pair. This is what they're doing for charity. And blah, 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 blah. Now tell me about Jesus again. I, I just don't have the words. You got more words about your shoes than you were about your Savior. That's messed up. Some of you have more words about your possessions than you do about your creator. That's out of 
balance. Some of you had more words about your relationship or your children or your grandkids than you do about what God has done for you. That is out of balance and out of a biblical norm. Sometimes we forget that changed people tell people. And the leper here, he decided, I'm going to tell people and I'm giving credit back to God. <clears throat> Not that I participated, but I have seen the commercials for all the different weight loss programs. And you, and you start watching the commercials, right? And it doesn't matter whether it's Jenny Craig, doesn't matter whether it's Weight Watchers, doesn't matter whether it's Nutrisystem, whether it's methamphetamines, it doesn't matter what the program is. The commercials are always the same, right? You get some chump like me that looks like he's marginally fit and he's got some pants that are five times too big, and he gets up there like Jared in Subway. I don't know if I can use him anymore or not. But he gets up there like Jared in Subway, and he starts talking about this is what I was, Ta-da! and this is who I am, right? Now, you ever wonder to yourself, do you ever wonder to yourself, why in those commercials, why don't they don't talk about the chemical change that happens when you stop eating 8,000 calories and only eat 1,500 calories? Do you ever think, why don't they ever talk about the, 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 uh, the, the, the physical change that happens when you stop eating good, deep, fried grease? And you go to eating the charred cardboard chalk that they put you on? They don't ever talk about the physiology. They don't ever talk about the chemical. They don't ever talk about the physical. They don't ever talk about the change that makes when you take the carbohydrates and the sugar and all the things that God has blessed and given us, and you start supplanting it with water and vegetables. They never talk about that. What do they do? They're always showing the people, the people, the people, the testimonies. They parade these people around and go, this is what I was, this is what I am, and there's a testimony, right? And what gets people to buy the product and to enroll in the program? It's not because of the tastiness of the food. No, no, no. You may say that and you are deceiving yourself. <laughs> it does not taste good. <laughs> There's no way a Nutrisystem meal is going to taste the same as a Twinkie. Period. It just doesn't happen. And those that say it does, that just shows how deranged you become. But it's the idea. It's the idea. What, do, what makes the difference? What makes the difference is not the content of the food that you're now going to start eating. The difference is not because of their 10-step program or because of their multi-week idea. That, what the difference is, is when you saw the change in a person, you said, I want that. And so you decided to do whatever they did so that you could become whatever they are. And that's what this Christian life is about. A bunch of changed people telling other people about what God has done for them. And when changed people tell people and people see the change, then they say, I want some of that. And you get these changed people that become become passionate and they become convicted and they're willing to say, I am changed and their testimony matches their words. Let me give you one example. Acts chapter 4. Jesus had already ascended up to heaven. The disciples are there. Early church has begun. And it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 5, 
On the next day, the, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, a, a quick context, what is going on. The disciples, Peter, James, John, and all the rest of them, they had been preaching Jesus, 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 Jesus. And the religious leaders are like, we don't, want to, we don't want this going on. We don't want this spreading. We don't want this to get, get, catch fire. And so they had detained them. They had arrested them. <coughs> and all of the same religious leaders that had then gotten together and had conspired to have Jesus killed are the same religious leaders that now put these disciples in front of them and they ask them the question, by what power or by what name did you do this? And so the disciples says, it's Jesus, the guy that you killed, the guy that God brought back from the dead, the guy that is sitting at the right hand of the Father, the guy that has saved us, that's the guy that we're talking in his name. And these religious leaders are like, mm, we don't like that. Um, we don't, that's not cool with us. And so you get down to verse 18 and it says, so they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all the name of Jesus. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot speak but of what we have seen and heard. Changed people tell people. Changed people are excited people. Changed people are changed people. So what's the message then? What's the message then that Mark is giving us to us as a church? He's been giving us these different pictures. The picture of John the Baptist or how John the Baptist saw Jesus. How the Holy Spirit interacted with Jesus. Satan, demons, oppressed, sick, disabled. But now we get to the leper. So what is the lesson that John is wanting to show us? What is the message that he is giving us about Jesus Christ. Just three things at the bottom of your notes and then we'll be done. The first one I want you to think about with me this morning is that we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. So when you get to the verse 40 and the leper comes up, that is just evidence, another case study in how brokenness has entered into the world. You have sickness. You have uncleanness. You have hopelessness. You have helplessness. You have these conditions. Brokenness is in the world. And so if you're the church and you're a Christian, you're reading this and you're like, poor leper guy. And what is it? It's a, it's a reminder that we live in a broken world. But then what's another message that he gives us? What is another piece of this story? That God sent his son to redeem us. Yes, we live in a broken world, but God has sent his son to Redeem us. That's where Jesus comes into the scene in verse 41. Jesus is there. The leper knows who Jesus is. The leper comes. If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretches his hand out and says, I will be clean. Why? Because that is what God had sent him to do. To redeem people. To save people. To offer hope. And to offer help to the people. So as the church, and we're looking at this text, and we think, so what? So I want you to remember with me this morning, church, that the message then is the message now. The message then is the message now. So what happens in verse 45? So the leper, he begins to go out and he begins to speak freely. He begins to speak freely. And what is he saying? He's not saying, hey, look at me. I found this new body wash. He didn't go to him and say, man, I hired this new cleaning service that came in and took care of my house. I, sw I, I, I switched laundry detergents. Look at me. I... 
Sorry, Miss Janice. I found an essential oil. It wasn't a matter of him coming and saying, look what I've done. He came and he said, look at what Jesus has done. And the same message then is the same message now. Back in 2018, a musical group by the name of Casting Crowns released a single. It became the title track of the album. It was the lead single off of the record. And the title of the track, or the title of the album, and the title of the song or the track is just simply only Jesus. And you can go back and you can watch the, the music video if you would like, but here's how the song goes. The, Make it count, leave a mark, build a name for yourself. Dream your dreams, chase your heart above all else. Make a name the world remembers, but all an empty world can sell is empty dreams. I got lost in the lie that it was up to me. To make a name the world remembers. But Jesus is the only name to remember. And they go on in the chorus and they say, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. Only Jesus. I've only got one life to live. I'll let every second point to him. Only Jesus. The leper in this story comes and he gets healed. And then everything from there on was only Jesus. What is your message that you are proclaiming to the world today? Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you if you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.